What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kinda Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, first things first, this is the only part where I advertise and I advertise for us. And so if you are a weekly listener and you are not yet donating or pledging, whatever you want to call it, to our Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash kind of neat. And my suggestion is to pledge $1 per episode just so that every time you listen, you're just giving us a buck. You know, we're down to about one podcast a month, if that right now. So it's not going to hurt your bank account too much. The most it would ever be is $4 a month. Thank you guys that are supporting our Patreon. I see new pledges every every week or every few days and i really really appreciate it it helps keep the lights on and pay the rent here so thank you so much that said this intro is a long time coming because i haven't done an episode in a while and i'm warning you right now if you're going to listen to the intro i'm going to start crying in the middle of it i'm sure so if you are not feeling good today or feeling depressed and you don't want to hear somebody else sounding depressed or sad then just fast forward till you hear the beat but um i have like really great news i have um I have, like, good news, bad news, and then I have, like, really fucking bad news. So I will start by saying, like, the reason uh, we haven't done an episode in a while is because I've been working on some side things, and I, I can announce them now because they're on paper. The ink is dry. But I signed on to host a video podcast with Skull Candy. As you guys know, I've been creating music content for Skull Candy all the last year, shooting a lot of photos and interviewing some artists that I like, that some have been on the show, some haven't. And um, they liked what they saw with that, but then they wanted to start a podcast and they knew that I have experience in it. So I started off just kind of like consulting them like in the steps that they would need. And when it came to the part of like finding a host, I was going to help them find one. And they decided like, oh, you know what? Are you doing anything? You want to just do it? And I was like, yeah, I'm down. So, you know, they made me a very kind offer and I will be hosting a video forum podcast for them that will be available on YouTube. And it's going to be called You Feel Me because their branding is Music You Can Feel. So the title of the show is You Feel Me. And I've done a couple episodes so far. They're not out yet, but they will be available. And they're great. I mean, I'm really happy to finally be able to bring a high quality video podcast to you guys because budgeting issues have me concerned that I wouldn't be able to do it with Kind of Neat, so I've not done it with Kind of Neat because, as you guys know, it's just me and Ben. Ben's running the boards. I'm in here doing the hosting and filming, and then he does all the post-production, and you know, it takes a lot to produce the quality of video podcast that I would like to do. And so thankfully, they're putting in the time and effort and the budget that it takes to make a really high quality video podcast. So it's going to be, you know, they're, they're kind of just letting me off the leash. Like I am doing the same interview style that you guys are used to on this show, just with more varied artists, some of which I would pick for the show, some of whom I've reached out to on the show and haven't gotten to interview, and other artists that I wouldn't necessarily pick to be on our show, but that turn out to be amazing people as well. And so I'm really excited for this year. I'll be traveling a lot with them, which brings me to the bad news, like the semi-bad news, is that I don't know how much kind of neat we're going to be doing this year just because Ben and I are both so busy. So to make our schedule sync lately has been... You know, it's been hectic. But that said, we're always, whenever we have uh, downtime, we're always going to try to do an episode, which is what we're doing today, because this one was something I've been meaning to do for a long time. So here comes the really bad news. You guys know that for the last couple of years, I've had a dog because I've been with my um, girlfriend, soon to be fiance, for, you know, a little over two years now. And 
Uh, she had a dog named Kennedy since Kennedy was a puppy. She got Kennedy when she was eight weeks old, and she just turned eight in February. And last week, a week ago from today, Kennedy got out of the house chasing a cat that lived across the street. And Kennedy got hit by a car while she was crossing the street. And, you know, she died instantly. Fortunately, she didn't suffer at all, but unfortunately, Kennedy is no longer with us. And I know that I sound like a, you know, blubbering baby right now, but all of you guys know what it's like to lose a pet. And, you know, she really meant the world to me. She brought a lot of um, organization and routine and comfort into my life. And, you know, obviously Mia has changed my life significantly for the better. And, And Kennedy was also a big part of that. You know, Kennedy, I didn't realize that my life was missing a dog, but it really was. And being with her the last two years was really great for me, and I'm going to miss her. She's a really good dog. I bring her to episodes. She was just here for our last episode. Uh, you, you could hear her bark in the background of the Hunna episode, you know? So, yeah, Kennedy died, and I'm really fucking sad. We're really beat up about it. We got her cremated on Thursday, and, man, it is really hard. But, like anything else, every day gets a little easier. We're getting through it, so... I leave for Australia in about 10 days or, or eight day, nine days, 10 days. And uh, out there, we're going to you know just get our minds off of it. And we have a 10-day vacation. And when I get back, I'm sure we'll go on the hunt for a new dog. You know, that's the thing. Kennedy, if you've been paying attention, I'm sure I sound like a fucking terrible dog owner because we just adopted a dog and ended up taking it back. And then fucking our dog it gets hit by a car crossing the street and... It was just like this one bad millisecond of timing. And I wasn't even there. I was in Denver. So I had to hear about it while I was on a photo shoot at lunch, made a fucking scene in front of everybody. I'm like, fuck, a fucking dog just died right in the middle of lunch. And then there's a bunch of people that on the shoot that I hadn't even met yet who were just like, oh, man, you know, so sorry. But, yeah, you know, Kennedy, one thing about her is she had a really, really strong prey drive. She was had a very strong prey instinct that was impossible to thwart. Uh, if she saw a squirrel or a cat, she was trying to book it and chase it. And on camping and uh, camping trips and shit like that, like uh, I would always have to keep her tied up or on a leash because if she saw a squirrel, she's gone. You know, at the house, she's generally really good about staying in the yard. And you know, we tried our hardest to always keep her in check at the house. And you know, there are a few times where even while I was there keeping the most watchful of eyes, if one of the doors was cracked open, she would sit out in front of the window all day and wait for her opportunity to run across the street. And our street is not busy at all. Like our street is very, it's a very quiet street. I would say on average, maybe fucking 15 cars drive by all day, you know, on my watch, she's run across the street and chased that cat, you know, multiple times. And I whistle and she comes right back over after she realizes like, oh, I don't know what to do with a cat anyway. So, you know, she goes and chases it and then runs back across the street. And, you know, every other time I've been lucky enough that no one was driving by. And, you know, unfortunately, she got out, chased that cat just at the wrong moment and didn't get back up. So it's fucking really hard. It sucks. So my life changed that way. You know, Mia has a really good outlook on it, though, and she's been trying to look for purpose as humans do. Humans are constantly trying to look for meaning in everything, even though life is, you know, perhaps we're going to find out it's all meaningless. She had a very poignant thought process in that, like, you know, Kennedy came into her life during a trying time and she's been Kennedy's been with her for the last eight years, which encapsulated most of her 20s and into her early 30s. 
And, you know, she went through some really hard times with that dog. And she said, you know, maybe Kennedy was like a uh, guardian angel of sorts. And when she realized that, you know, me is in good hands now and then I'm going to be, you know, helping out with everything for the rest of her life that – Perhaps Kennedy's spirit knew that Mia didn't need her anymore. And, and even as ridiculous and superstitious as that might sound, we've both taken a lot of comfort in that. You know, and even telling my mom that story, she was kind of like, I never really would have thought of that, but that's like so beautiful. And she started like reminiscing about her last dog before her current dog. And she's like, you know, we had Odin, who was a black lab, who was a good dog. He was a black lab who like never really grew out of his puppy phase. I feel like he was nine. And it was right after my dad had gotten diagnosed, like about a year after my dad had gotten diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He just had a he had a seizure one day just out of the blue had a seizure first time ever having a seizure and my dad was still cognizant enough to like call my mom and be like yo something's wrong with odin like he hadn't he had a seizure today and it was really weird and my mom's like okay we'll just keep an eye on him you know and he did for the rest of the day and it was fine but then this was even when my dad was still working because even when he got diagnosed he still worked for like another year after that because it was pretty minor and he went downstairs to go to sleep because he had to work a night shift that night and when when my mom got home odin was just laying at the top of these stairs by by this entrance um, from the garage and was just laying there peacefully like he always did but it turns out that he had passed like while my dad was downstairs asleep and my mom obviously was beside herself I remember that phone call she was you know sobbing into the phone as she told me that Odin died and I started crying as well because you know dogs are way better than humans and uh, it was terrible and meaningless at the time but now that she looks back she didn't want another dog and she was like, nope, I'm done. You know, I got to take care of Barry. I can't take care of Barry and a dog. And then, you know, she told the neurologist the story at the time. And she, the neurologist said, well, you know, Karen, it sounds like Barry really loved being around this dog. And that dog helped keep him on schedule because it gave him a routine to stick with, you know, taking the dog out, the dog sleeping with him, comforting him, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it seems like Barry would benefit from having a dog in his life and continuing to have that routine in his life, right? So, lo and behold, my mom and my brother start looking for a dog. And the way they ended up with the dog Doc up there right now, they named him Doc because he's meant to be like my dad's doctor. They started looking at various shelters and stuff. And then it turns out that this lady who rescues dogs that my brother knew just knew that they were on the hunt. And and she said, you know what? I found this dog up on an island outside of Nome. And it's a sled dog mix who was he was the runt of a litter of sled dogs and he's in a shelter. But I brought him back to Fairbanks and I'm telling you, I think this is the one. And that dog went on to become the best dog that my family has ever had. Like we've had a lot of dogs in my years. I was born with three dogs in the family already. And then any time a dog died, we always got a new dog. And Doc is a fucking amazing dog. And he was like really he really was Barry's caregiver for a long time because before my mom retired, it was just Barry and Doc at the house, you know, and and I, I really think that dog helped with um, the process quite a bit. And even when my dad stopped liking the dog to like sit on his lap or when it would come up, you know, to get pet or whatever, he would shoo him away and get out of here type thing. Like he started getting annoyed with dogs after a certain point when he stopped understanding things. And even then, Doc was so protective of him. So, you know, in hindsight, my mom looks at it as like maybe Odin was saying he's not cut out for this and that you guys should find another dog. And again, as superstitious as that sounds, that's how it worked out. So, you know. We're going to find a new dog. I'm going to miss Kennedy very much. All right. On to happier things. 
I am going to be very busy this year, like I said. So life has a strange way of evening itself out. You know, uh, you can never get too much good news before some really terrible shit happens. That's just a reality. Life balances itself out. Um, somebody tweeted at me and said, oh, man, I could really use like a life sucks, but everything's going to be OK. Rant from uh, intuition. So there you go. You're getting one because that's that's what happened. You know, I got some great news that I got a really generous and, and nice contract and a lot of work this year only to fucking have my dog die so yeah things are good but things are shitty as always <laughs> that, that is the moral of the story today on the show we have the epic beard men who are b dolan and sage francis and i feel like in a sense i don't know i feel like a kindred spiritness with these guys or, or i feel like kindred spirits with these fellas like sage was one of my he wasn't my early rap idol that's misplaced like because my early rap idols are obviously from like the early 90s but at a time where i was like oh could I rap? Could I be a rapper? People like Sage helped it make sense for me. They showed me a business model that could work. They showed me that, you know, at that time you didn't have to just look like Eminem or sound like Eminem to be a white rapper. Like you could you could survive and carve a niche for yourself and and do it with a certain amount of class and reverence for rap music without just being a total like leech for the culture i don't know if any of that really makes sense but basically i think that like sage has always been respectful to those who came before him and he was a wild man in the early 2000s and it really spoke to me his music spoke to me at the time and, and it meant a lot to me and so i've always wanted to have a conversation with him and he and b dolan have been obviously working together for a long time and touring together for a long time but they're finally putting out a group effort called epic beard men I think you guys should check it out. They're on tour. They're touring it. I like B. Dolan quite a bit as well. Follow him on Twitter. Really great fella. Good head on his shoulders. And I would imagine that after talking to them, you'll, you guys will see, like, we all kind of seem to have a similar outlook on all this stuff. And uh, it was a pleasant conversation. I was really happy with how it went. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Sage Francis and B. Dolan, the epic beard men. Hi boys, what up? What nice up? to see you guys. I nice see you. Here, here we are. I feel like I'm looking at a funhouse mirror of myself yeah. or something. Yeah. You know, we are epic people who happen to be men with beards. Yeah, exactly. and also shiny heads. Lots of shiny heads, lots of beards. We got two epic beard men and one normal beard man. So I'm the normal one. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are on tour right now. Yes. Yeah. You guys kind of live on the road, huh? We have been. Yeah. yeah. We wanted to. We took a little bit of a break because we had to uh, nail down the songs we were recording and we needed a lot of time for that. Mm -hmm. and every time we go on the road, in my head, as I'm booking hotel rooms night to night on Expedia, I'm like, oh, man, we'll be able to be there for four hours. We'll definitely write a song. We could knock out a song. Nah, like we get there and like he starts watching uh, Jesus. And <laughs> Yo, Miro. shout out. Hey, the, the brand hey. is Brolic, baby. Hey. I fucking love Jesus hey. and Miro. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I get caught up in it because I'm like, like looking to the side, like I in it, like, yeah, I want to be doing that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those guys are the truth. That's the best platform on the internet, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I want to preface this to Epic Beardman fans that like I'm not an obsessive fan like some of you guys probably are. So I don't know if I'm going to ask the wrong questions. I know like when people have hardcore long term followings, they get really mad when you like don't ask the right questions. But I'm just gonna like learn about you guys. Like we're just you know that's good because yeah. we're brand new. There Honestly, you go. this is this we just put out our first EP. Of yeah. course, we sprinkled a couple of videos over the years, but right. it was never a real thing until now. Right, and people are just finding out about it. They're coming to these shows not even knowing what Epic Beardman is. Oh, really? So they're like expecting a Sage set and a B set. Yeah. But it's not that. But that's the thing is that like you guys have been working together and touring together for ages now, yeah? Yeah. Ten, yeah. ten years. Ten years. How did you guys meet initially? Uh, I had just moved back to Providence from New York in 2002. Yeah. And uh, I was, long story short, very, like, after messing with Def Jam in New York, 9-11, crazy time down there, get back to Providence. Someone told me, look up Sage Francis. He's the only poet worth knowing about in Providence. Right. And I was trying Word to... Word up. <laughs> I was trying to... Uh, yeah, Bob Holman. Yeah, man. Shout, shout out to, to Bob, Bob Holman. Holman. Yeah. He's in with the out crowd. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, so he told me to look Sage up. I hit Sage up about this program involving <laughs> like going into... You wanted uh, me to uh, work with into, kids? Going into high schools. We were, go, <laughs> we were going into high schools performing. He's got a good heart. Yeah, I'm a nice guy. Yeah, I'm not. And uh, yeah, and, and he blew me off. That's what happened. He was like, he was that like, that nah. sounds like the sage that I'm familiar with from He's the like, early 2000s. If, if you bring me into a high school, I'm just gonna swear in front of the teachers and do all the shit I wanted to do when I was in school. Right. You know, good luck, man. I, I, that was an honest reaction, though, because I had been through that. I I had attended schools to perform, and then I found I couldn't refrain from being very vulgar. It's hard to edit your art. It, no, but it was over the top. It was like I couldn't stop myself from from just being as offensive as possible because I have all these deep seated issues from my own high school experience in school. I come from my school is super strict. Yeah, like they and they wouldn't even let me rap in the talent show. It's like mm. rap wasn't real. Was Catholic school or what? No, nah, no. Nah, well, it might as well have been. Yeah. But no, nah, we just I live in a very small, lily white conservative town and so yeah he asked me to do that yeah and i said nah he blew me off i was like this guy's not taking me seriously yeah who the fuck does he think he is <laughs> so I, I i run a message board by the way <laughs> i went to the pro- hey i used to be on that message board i know yet i got it archived I yeah. mean, it's not online anymore and yeah. everyone's like happy that people can't research what they said in yeah. 2000 whatever but you have it i do it's it, somewhere it, yeah i got can, it I, and probably. i'm gonna turn it into a book <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, like, one of my true confessions is I was, like, a fucking Sage Francis stan from, like, 2000-ish to 2005, four, five, something like that. Like, yeah, I was on the boards. You're one of the first shows that I ever opened for. I don't know if you know that. Wait, we're in Santa Barbara. So my first show I ever opened for was Paul Barman, right? And then about two months later, I opened for you. And I did all the right mistakes that opening acts make that like I I went over my time yeah. and like tried to like Did uh, you make them say hop after you say hip? I didn't do that, but I definitely like told I my crowd banter was embarrassing and terrible. Yo, like we're on new levels of yeah. crowd banter in two thousand eighteen. There's crazy shit. Uh, we've had some local openers on yeah. this tour and we have seen local opener shit on this this run specifically yeah. Yeah. that we've never seen like before. Like what? And it's wow. common from city to city. Yeah. It's not. It's not just one area of the country. It's the whole country. Yeah. These motherfuckers are half banter, half music. Yeah. Everyone They're, starts with banter now. Yeah. Everyone starts with like 
three minutes of shitty banter before they even play a song. Yeah, and they're giving like it's not behind the music, fool. Like uh, play exactly. a fucking song. Well, so I think that's the problem that a lot of opening acts have. <laughs> like when you're opening for somebody that you really look up for, you feel like I want to explain why this song <laughs> should be important <laughs> to you. Like their music is important to all of us, you know. And you think that's gonna break through, but it makes everybody be like, shut the fuck uh, up. Yeah. So funny. yeah, and there's certain stuff like using the headliner's name to get applause. Like exactly. who's ready for me, Dolan? Yeah, exactly. who's ready for Sage Francis? All right, well you got a half hour till they come out. So. Oh, yeah. Really oh, milking it. Yeah, yeah, like, and if it doesn't work, like, oh, I guess you don't want to see B. Dolan and Sage Francis. Like, exactly. That's normal. But on this tour, we had a band that changed genres every song. No. Like, they were a hardcore band. Yeah. Then they were rapping. Yeah. Then they were singing doo-wop. Like, they were changing genres. Yeah. They had as much instrumentation on stage as Radiohead. Yeah. They looked to be about 14 years old. It was, this was in Pomona. Hey, yeah. shout out Pomona. That was crazy. The show that I opened for you in 2004 was like, it went me, and then I th- I think it was either like Revolution or Iration, because they were just starting in Santa Barbara as well, mm-hmm. and the promoter like fucked with white reggae. So I think it went from like white rapper to white reggae to white rapper. Yeah. So yeah, fun times. You can't test me, man. Yeah. Trust the Fundians. <laughs> I think I learned that term from you. Yeah, That's there you it. go. Well, did you guys ever run into each other as kids? No. no. Well, I'm a bit older than he is. Yeah. Um, so even in the school system, we would not have even crossed yeah. paths. Well, so how have you guys' lives been similar in your upbringing, and how were they different in upbringing now that you guys know each other really well? Like, what was it like in Providence versus North Smithfield? Well, I wasn't in Providence. I was oh. in Smithfield. Oh, you were in yeah, Smithfield Yeah, yeah. Well, well, we grew up, like, probably 10, 15 minutes away from oh, each no other. Oh, no shit. What a small yeah, world. Yeah. And what's also odd is that we both at separate times went to New York because our favorite rappers all came from of New course. York and we were like, all right, go to New York and yeah. rap and then came back, uh, which is where we met. But yeah, so that right there was like some weird like parallel track. Yeah, and I guess the the thing that we both hate but brought us together was the poetry scene. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. we by that point when he had moved back to Rhode Island, I was already transitioning out of the whole slam community thing. It just, you know, it had its day. I yeah. just wasn't trying to do it anymore. But um And, and he, I was too. Yeah, yeah, he stepped in he was because he came from the New Yorican scene, which had different rules and how things go on stage. And here he is in our little like Rhode Island poetry night breaking every rule on the stage like homie you're great but like we're supposed to like go to the nationals man and you're gonna break all the rules and we're gonna lose well they right. never in at the new york and they never enforced the time limit so uh, they, they every wednesday night was like a open mic for anyone yeah and if you won on wednesday then you come back on friday and i didn't even give a shit about the 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 competition someone just told me like oh go there like they i was at a poetry reading at a college and they they heard like rhymes in that were poetry and they were like, Oh, you should, you sound like you should read at the New Eureka. so I went there. I heard it was like harsh, but I didn't understand why. Yeah. Tell people a little bit about the New Eureka because I think in like in the early 2000s, I was legendary. Like we yeah, would hear yeah, about yeah. it on message boards and stuff, right. but I don't, I don't really know what it is. Is it similar to kind of what was happening with like Project Bloat out here or no? Um, no, it's just, well, yeah. It, it was a collective that started a venue. Yeah. Um, the, but the collective itself, by the time the 2000s were around, like that, that was already like a generation past. Okay. Like, it was very like, head rap incense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but wasn't Lyricist Lounge? Does no, it, it, it have anything to do yeah. with Lyricist Lounge? I think it did. Yeah. It, was, it was just that became a venue. That okay. became like a spot. Okay. So there were like a lot of hip. There was like a weekly hip hop event there. There was the weekly slam there. And what I, kind of people were you running into there? 
Uh, Anybody of note? Yeah, well, I ran into the Def Jam cats, yeah. and that's where like I got seen on stage and invited to perform at the Rush Art Gal- Art Gallery. Yeah. And, like the, they were taping the pilots at the time, okay, and all that shit, which is where I like dropped out of school and was like, okay, that's it. Someone said Def Jam to me. Here we go. Yeah, like, right, <laughs> right, right. And uh, and that scene was not for me. Yeah, uh, and I immediately sensed that I was like eighteen at the time, and. Yeah, I was just being videotaped. No one would tell me what was happening with the tape. People just saying, I'm a manager, I'm a this, I'm a that. Like, yeah. Uh, everyone real pretty on cocaine. Right. You know, like. Yeah, yeah. I, I met Natalie Portman at New York. And, yeah. yeah? Yeah. That's the only time I ever that's met her in person. I yeah. was already on my full on. Because like, that was like, that's like your thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And I was like, because I had, um, I was standing outside the New York and just. Uh, interviewing people at random, mm-hmm. I would, like I had a digital recorder, mm-hmm. and I turn and she's like right in front of me, and I, I was like, "What makes you such a freestyle monster?" <laughs> and uh, she just like slowly turned her head away, and that was it. Nice. Did it ruin it for you? Yeah, that was kind of hot. I wasn't okay. too mad at it because my thing used to be Jennifer Love Hewitt, and then <laughs> I met her, and I was like, "Ah, eh, nah, I haven't thought about her since." To be honest, yeah. yeah. Well, once once Natalie had kids and we got married, I said I have to stop making these shirts where yeah, I, right. I, I stalk her. Yeah, it just gets creepy, right? <laughs> yeah. um, when did you end up going to New York? Uh, Ninety six. Um, I had just graduated college or my first college. Yeah. And um They have fucking <clears throat> humble brag multiple. Well it times. was I had a junior college, oh, which is okay. it's not too much of a brag. I thought you're like, Oh, I went back and got my PhD. <laughs> I had to go back and get my BA, but yeah. I, I had a associate's degree in communications which translated into squat. Yeah, right. And um I was like, All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this move to New York now because that's where you have to go to be a rapper. And um I literally would just walk the streets and look for ciphers. That's that was the <laughs> that era. was the shit. Yeah, that was like, and it worked. Like yeah. I met people that way. This was like I would see a circle somewhere. I would walk toward it. I would fucking just like, like you know, do my thing. Yeah. People would give me their number. We would connect later. One of the dudes I met on that. Do you know who Breeze Ever Flowing? Of course, that's one of my. On the list of most slept-on rappers, yeah, yeah. Breeze ever flown. Yeah, he's tight. Them. Yeah, and he was a really nice cat. I was just, like, that's the dude from Prince of Thieves, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, or, no, I'm thinking of Breezy Bruin. My uh, Breezy Bruin is I, yeah, Breezy he's so Bruin. Cool I was, uh, but no, I know Breeze ever flown too. Yeah. He was on a bunch of Def Joke shit. Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, well. He was on uh, man. He just disappeared after a while. There's a lot of good. There was a lot of good stuff back then, and people could rap. Yeah, and just people knew how to rap. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just, you don't see ciphers these days. There's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, I used to like fucking live for even pre YouTube, like just Google searching and looking for ciphers like that, and seeing you know Aesop Rocks like uh, on the corner of a street ciphering with Mister Liff or whatever. Like yeah. that was our shit all the way across the country. You know, um, yeah. I mean, we used to heavy. We used to heavy lurk you guys. You know what I mean. Uh, just to find this inspiration because to to see people that were coming from the outside and getting accepted was something that was very inspiring you yeah know? so yeah, yeah I could see it that. spoke to us yeah it was coming from the college radio background too where i i had a lot of access to the new pe- people were on the come up yeah and we didn't know who was black or white or mm-hmm. Hispanic. exactly that was the and, main thing is like you didn't see people's pictures so yeah. when i found out asap rock was white i was like what the fuck when i found <laughs> out lp was white i was like what the fuck you know what i mean when i heard him on on sound bombing too i was like this guy this guy is like wow this is amazing and then i was like what the fuck he's a redhead so you know what i'm saying like <laughs> gross yeah i was like oh man um but yeah were you always kind of a troll back in the day 
I had fun. Yeah. That's how I learned how to type. Really, like trolling? Pretty much. But I mean, that's the thing that struck me as, early in your career is that even like your outward appearances were trolling. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I think back of like your legendary Zalzan appearance yeah. and Scribble Jam and shit like that. You were out here like fooling the people, telling people you're a 46-year-old yeah. roadie and shit like yeah. that or whatever, you know? Yeah, that was just fun, man. Yeah. And I specifically <clears throat> for Scribble Jam, I did that because like you just said, yeah. we didn't know what people looked like. Right. And I didn't want people knowing I was Sage Francis. Right. Because then they'd have more Jokes. material on me, yeah. you know? So I was like, Zalzan, you, you, it's tough for people to even remember that name. Right. I embodied every white stereotype. So yeah, that, mullet, fucking. Yeah, just, to, just so that when they say it to me, it's it's just like. You already got rebuttals and you already know. Yeah, I wouldn't even have rebuttals. It just would, it would fall flat. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I'm owning it. You right. can't you can't like use it against me now. Right. Now what what are you gonna say? Right, right. The cheddar bob technique, you yeah. know, from eight mile. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There you so, go. That's how that all came about, and yeah, I didn't really consider it trolling. I just was having fun. Yeah, yeah. Like anytime the crowd thinks they know what's gonna happen, it's ripe for that. It's not even trolling. It's just like an opportunity for performers. That's how. That's why I didn't fit too well in the poetry slam community because I would just see that like game and I'd be like, oh, this would be easy to just like push a button. Like, what if this happened? Like, what if a dude? You know, like you have so right. many rules and it's so formatted. And battle rap is formatted. Totally. Hip hop shows are formatted. What's funny about how we met? Because when we were talking about the poetry thing, we ended up on this the slam team. That, yeah. And we go to the nationals together, and both of us could care less at that point but we got to travel somewhere together and and just it was in uh minneapolis that year and um i didn't even have enough poems to compete so i literally had to write a poem the night we're we're like in a semi-finals round or something and right that's how little of a fuck i gave about this shit and it was like such a big deal to others but that experience overall I think shaped helped shape how we moved forward with the way we work together and what we appreciate about each other's art and how we go about it. And that was a like as again, as much as we dislike that scene and playing that game, it had a big it did have a role in, in what we are. What was that scene like? Because you say national poetry slam and that sounds like a big deal, like, oh my god, is that like in an arena or something? The finals night is an arena. It's got a big audience. Yeah. yeah. There's people, people who live off of it. Yeah, right. You know, it's, yeah. So people will dedicate their lives to being known within this scene, and they get to sell their chat books and like more power to them. Or but you, you tour a college circuit. What, you know, what, like when Death Poetry Jam was a thing, were you guys yeah. like, "Oh, this is I'm going to be on this"? Or was they? That like, they hit me up. Yeah, they, right. yeah. They were like talking to me, and they were like, "Listen." Now, we've seen two videos from you. Yeah. One of them, you know, you got a beanie on and, you know, some hip-hop attire. You're doing this this hip-hop poem. Really like it. But then we saw this other video, and you got a long beard and flannel on. Yeah. And I don't know if that really fits the image we're going for. Right. We, want, we want the white hip-hop kid. Yeah. And I was like, you're not going to get what you want. Right. That's all I'm going to tell you. That was it for me. And I've, I, like, hated on that religiously since that point. Right. Yeah, my, my encounter didn't go that way. What was your encounter? Like? It was at the Rush Arts Gallery. Okay. I'm performing. And they, they, they were into the fact that I had, like, a, a real crazy style. Like, they saw, like, crazy white guy yeah. in me. And Eminem was popping at that time. So I, the, the, the subtle message I got was, like, more of that crazy white boy shit would be excellent. And, right. Uh, and at the same time, like, I'm, like, didn't even have a place to live at that time. I'm living on people's couches and sleeping in train stations and shit. Got a bag on me. 
and got weed in the bag. And, you know, I see I all the bags got left in the back of the room. I turn around. I see this dude, like, messing with the straps of my bag. And I kind of, like, run up on him. I'm like, hey, hey man, like, that's my bag. Is yeah. that cool there? So like, yeah, yeah, he backs away from it. And then, like, I go and I sit down. And I'm I'm so, like, anxious in this environment. I turn around. I look at again at the dude I ran up on, and it's fucking Russell Simmons. He was, Russell was digging <laughs> yeah, through your bag? Yeah, I think he was looking at the straps mm. and the construction. It was, like, this oh, Army-Navy okay, shit. Yeah. So he was checking out, yeah, you know. Inspiration the, for, like, yeah, fucking he was trying clothing to rip and my shit. shit early. Yeah, no way. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, yeah, so I I hated the whole shit. I, the, but that was a taping for the pilot of the Deaf Poetry Jam. Oh, okay, that's yeah, what that yeah, was. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Damn, so you're like the earliest of adopters yeah. who were at the pilot. Well, the, yeah. And okay. that, that's when I said I heard Def Jam and I yeah. dropped out of college. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it is. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um, I imagine where you guys are from, like blue collar, working class area. Like, what did your par- what did you guys' parents do for work? My dad was a truck driver. There you go. Uh, and my mom was a secretary. Yeah. Yeah, my dad worked many different jobs yeah um he was a paper guy paper boy you know for a long yeah. time and that's what i did that was my first job okay. so um but he yeah he just moved on from job to job yeah. and my mom worked several jobs all at the same time she was a bartender she worked at a uh a facility for mentally handicapped adults yeah actually that's how my parents met i think or they both worked there for a long time yeah but yeah, they worked and they vacationed. Yeah. You know, somehow back then, even blue yeah, collar, like going vacations. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somehow on a teacher's salary, my mom took us on vacation yeah. every year. And I'm like, damn, I haven't taken a vacation yeah. in like fucking six years. It's wild. Yeah. I always think about it because I live in the house now that I grew up in. Yeah. My, my father had passed away in 2010. My mom, like they got divorced earlier than that, but she moved to Florida. Yeah. So I've been living in this house the whole time. And I'm like, they used to have these big giant parties every weekend at, at my house and like no one's been to my house since then you know right, <laughs> it's right. like how did they facilitate all these things work these jobs raise a kid yeah like my parents always had like adult friends and I'm like man I, <laughs> yeah. I don't got no fucking adult <laughs> friends like, really, got, like, they didn't have the friends. internet they yeah. had to like if oh, they yeah. wanted to talk to people yo that's real like yeah, without a feel like, to, like it, bring people to their right. house when I go home yeah. now it's like my old like third grade friends I'm like you you don't have anything to talk about you're like oh yeah you got a fucking kid and I yeah. see you got a new job okay right. cool so what I, I guess what I was leading towards, like, knowing that you guys come from, like, a working class background, like, did you feel different growing up there? Like, you guys are both clearly very, very heady per- people, probably were, were quite studious, I would imagine, or if not, you were probably studying on your own. So, like, did you feel like, I want to get out of this? I, want, I see something bigger for myself? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was definitely, like, I was an alien that yeah. was born to, <laughs> like, I think back now a lot on like my relationship with my dad and like what his perspective of me was yeah and yeah we just we we never understood each other you know like we came to an understanding of how to be together Uh but we were just very very different people and very different you know that that's a generational thing and a geographical thing because i was different than everybody around me growing up right which is why yeah you know hip-hop in the little fragments you'd get or Stephen King books, or, you know, I just isolated in my room, which was also a source of tension because they were like, what the fuck is he doing in there? Like this fucking weird ass kid. And my father would always be like, they tell me he's a fucking genius, you know, (laughs) at school. Yeah, like I tested well and all that shit. And so teachers would tell them like, yo, he's advanced. And he'd be like, this kid is dumb as shit. You know, like, how come he never talks to me? He can't work the lawnmower. He can't, you know, like, you know, basic, you know, like all the shit. He doesn't close the toothpaste tube. (laughs) Right. Because the brain works in different ways. Yeah, he was a math dude. He he built half our house. Yeah. 
Yeah, like wow. he, yeah, he did tile at night. He did, you know, like he understood geometry and numbers and all that shit. He was. Did you rebel from that, knowing that your knowing that your dad could do things with his hands? Were you like, fuck that? I never want to work with my hands. I just never had the aptitude. Like I just like. I mean, I I can do shit now. I'm surprised by how much I can do shit now and how much I did absorb. Yeah. But as a kid, it would just forever be him just, like, on a ladder talking to himself and me, like, staring at, you know, the fucking grass. Right. You know, like, right. focusing on an anthill or some shit. Yeah. You know, I was a, he, I was a frustrating kid for him. Well, he, had, he, had, he had a sister, too, so you had siblings to kind of share. Yeah. I think One. the home environment. You're an only child. Yeah, I grew up an only child, and I was I was I was not studious. In fact, I mean, I think I peaked in third grade or maybe second as yeah. far as how doing well in school, and then I guess discovering hip hop and that becoming my life is like ninjas and hip hop were my fucking life. Besides magic, I got super oh, into yeah, magic. Oh yeah, I forgot you were like you. That was like your thing too. You were yeah. like a karate guy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So sports, I was huge. That's the only reason I got to go to college was yeah. because of sports no and way. i was good at football and oh. i was aiming for a scholarship and then once i got to college because in high school like I, I mentioned it was a very small almost exclusively white yeah. catholic town yeah and we all grew up knowing one another it was a very small class i graduated uh the class of like 100 people yeah and we all pretty much knew each other from kindergarten yeah. until i graduated I, I, I graduated from a class of 68 uh, yeah, yeah. So, small so i was and I was super weird. Mm -hmm. No one knew how what to make sense of me because no one listened to hip hop. Right. They didn't know my influences. They didn't know why I was dressing the way I was. And I, it was just me trying to get the fuck out without being able to get out, you know? Right. So once I could get out, I just took it all in. I was, you know, once I got to college, I I involved myself in every everything I could. There was like that's how I discovered the spoken word scene because like, oh, there's an open mic. I'm going to go there. Yeah. It's like, I have raps. It's not poetry, but check this out. Yeah. And that's how that all, it all just blossomed from that point on. So, yeah. Did you always f have this need to be seen on stage? Like, did you feel like the stage was calling you? Like, I guess so. Yeah. I, I started when I was 12. And, Doing what? Like on stage rapping. Oh, yeah. Because you had that on a tape, right? Like yeah. on personal journals or something. You put that on there. Yeah. Or, I, well, that was me younger. Oh, younger. I would, yeah. I would record myself in my just room. In, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah on a little that. tape recorder. Yeah, but yeah. once I was 12, that's when I... I presented it to people. Yeah. Again, not the community who cared about rap. So right. it was like, what, I just was, I guess, doing it for myself. And, yeah. And like, I, you know, I want to be Run DMC. So that's so interesting. I mean, sorry, not to make this about me for no, a moment, cool. but that was one of the things that really drew me to like your whole persona when I was younger, when I was in my late, late teens, early 20s, because I would hear on shit like that when you had these tapes of yourself. I was fr I'm from Alaska and like you know I actually went to a school that was pretty heavily influenced by rap music because it was a military base so it was pretty diverse so I got to pick up on a lot of things that I wouldn't have otherwise like uh, that said by the time I was 11 I was like recording raps and putting them in citywide competitions to try and win <laughs> Wendy's happy meals yeah. about like please don't smoke it ain't no joke you know like we were like That was my first paycheck by the way like doing a rap for the no smoking. Uh, that was a huge thing. They used to have rap competitions yeah. about like who who can turn in the best rap about not <laughs> yeah. smoking. You know, yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I would hear. I was like, oh, there's like other weird white dudes like me that like were obsessed and like wanted to be involved but didn't have a way because you're from like borderline rural communities. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So uh, it gives you a jaded edge too, I think, because a lot of people did experience that, and they always it's such a 
you you feel all alone for so long. Yeah. Then when other people try to act like, like this is my shit. Yeah, yeah. Get yeah. away from me. You, I see it often. Yo, there's a bigger version of like. I mean, I'm sure you felt it for a long time. Like you meet another like white dude that has a similar story to you, and you're like, man, fuck that guy. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah, it feels like you're used to being the only yeah. dude in that. Or like, I'll, I'll, like it's a weird pride. It, it, yeah, it's totally. MC Search problem. <laughs> totally. There's, there's, there's only two human stories. Someone said that. I read that quote the other day. It was like only two human stories. What are they? I don't know, but I, I'm going to learn them. Oh, I thought you were going to say like mine and yours. Yeah. <laughs> no, nah, I've, I've just I've been. Black and white. No, nah, like I've been studying um, psychic readings. Yeah. And that's it's a big part of it. It's no like, shit. you know. Yeah, I saw, did you see there's a $20 special next yeah, door? Yeah, next called door, Intuition. Yeah. yeah, Psychic Intuition. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's bullshit. <laughs> you, yeah, don't charge, you don't charge for your gift. There That's you all go. I'm going to say. Oh, shout do you, out to do you, have a scar, do you have a scar on your left knee? No. Are you Could, sure? I'm positive. There's no scar on your left leg or your left knee? No. I mean, I know. I get the I get the trick, like this power of suggestion. Like, I'm sensing somebody no. with a K. No, like, no. It's, oh. a, it's a... Wait, you're going to give away tricks now? Wait, do, I don't know. Check now, your, oh, the, you mean the a, big tattoo and the big scar, scar I'm looking scar, at on your left knee? That's, that's not a knee. That's a shin. Hold what? up. On your knee. You're not a biologist. On your knee, there's a scar, though. Where? That's just a lot of hair. Yeah, you that's got the hairiest knee hair. I've ever seen. He's got, got a big How do you wear pants and still have hair on your legs? Like, my pants rub all my hair off. Hey, I got strong Italian genetics, baby. <laughs> like, I'm covered. You know, that ain't going nowhere. Full-blooded Italian? No, I'm actually only a quarter. I'm like, and then my mom is Italian-Hungarian. Yeah, what are you? We look like we could be cousins. Yeah, I'm half Italian. Yeah, so my mom was half and half and so that made me a quarter so there you go but that's right. the only side of my family that i grew up with so like same i act like i'm a fucking you know yeah, yeah, yeah. right so <laughs> anyhow all right so you'd fit in really well in rhode island really yeah yeah, yeah. all right yeah. you know mark the guy that i make music with equilibrium he's yeah. oh, yeah. he's from connecticut he's from oh. milford Wow, oh, word. that's yeah. super close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was from Connecticut. Yeah, he's from Connecticut. He moved out to Santa Barbara. But that's the thing is like he and I have a weird story. Mm-hmm. We're like we're both from these small towns, and we ended up moving to Santa Barbara, which is like a weird small town in mm-hmm. California. And we met that way because some guy at a record store was like, "Oh, you rap? Oh, this guy that from that moved from Connecticut last month, he makes beats. You guys should work mm-hmm. together." And now, fifteen years later, you know, here we are. He used word. to slay the the remix contest on, yeah. the, on oh, the message board. A killer! At yeah. the, I mean, I, there were certain um, groups that I think started having remix contests just so that he would do a remix <laughs> yeah. for them. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, he's really great at that. He's awesome. So you go off to college, and you guys both go off to college in New York. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was in Massachusetts. Massachusetts. And then I went to New York after that. I only stayed in college for a year. A year, and then you dropped out. Yeah. I yeah. Was just took all the drugs available. Okay. Yeah. And I hated every drug available, and <laughs> I got very, uh, I got very involved with the straight edge scene. Right. I remember the that hardcore. As well. Here's what I actually wanted to get at with you guys. Being from like probably a pretty conservative area, I know both of you guys are very outspoken liberals for as long as I've known about your art. So, what was that challenge like in growing up in such a con- conservative environment and having like a more kind of I don't know, left-leaning, open-minded stance about things and is, is your father still alive? He no, he died. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry that both of you guys' fathers died. Yeah. Yeah, same year, we're same on tour. Year, we're, same year. <laughs> yeah, it was on a tour? hell of a year. That's was, fucking uh, devastating. 2010. Man. That was. Yeah. Man. Yeah, my dad was diagnosed uh, with lung cancer right as we were about to start six months of touring. Oh fuck. And yeah, it was adamant. Like, you know, you're going on the tour. Don't even think about staying here. Like, yeah. it's all good. And then yeah, wow. So we were on tour. Like. Doing that every night, Skype sessions with test results, and then get on stage. And, yeah. uh, and then in the midst of that, as everybody is helping me through that, 
Yeah, his dad passed suddenly. Just suddenly, yeah. Suddenly. It's crazy, yeah. yeah. Heart thing or what? We don't even know. There was no... No way. I didn't even get yeah. like an official report. He was at the... He was sent to the emergency room. He had a lot of health issues. He had, yeah. He was a large man and right. he, had, he, he had like brain cancer early on, but they cut the shit it. out, but yeah. not all of it. And he was always on medication. And yeah. Yeah. It was just that, that whole year because Idea passed away that year too. Right. So we, I was like, he flew home. I flew to Australia mm. to continue the tour. It was ending, but that was where we were ending it. Yeah. This is at the end of <clears throat> that year. Yeah. So right when he got back is when his father passed away. Mm. Right. It was like, October. Yeah. Yeah, and then I was an idea. Of, like I woke up in the morning, I'm seeing these messages on Twitter about idea. I'm like, what the fuck? And I was like, so far away. I was so alone. And that year, I was like, fuck all this shit. Like I'm missing out too much at home. And I I made a very strong stance to be like, this is it for me. It's over. Like I'm not touring anymore. I remember that. Yeah. I was and I was adamant. I yeah. really like people are like ah. People always say that, but I was like nah. Gee, yeah. this shit is <laughs> done. This yeah. like my life is fucked. Right. And um, I did take a I did take a four year hiatus, and I was, but my depression got worse and worse, and my life got worse and worse, and I was like. I need to go back on the road or else I'm going to fucking die. Mm -hmm. So just just to get things moving again, you know, and just try to, like, get back some kind of activity in my life that right. was positive and could make money and help right. my business. Yeah. Because I was like, I want to be able to make money without touring myself to death. Mm -hmm. But then the flip side was also bad. And I'm now I'm well, and at the same time, if you're running like a, essentially an internet business, which is what yeah. fucking rap is now, and you have a house that you already said you don't invite people over to, like that's a very that's a not a conducive to depression. You know what I mean? That's just yeah. gonna intensify. Yeah. So. yeah, I mean, some of it is situational. Some of it yeah. is just natural. Right. Absolutely. And um, uh, I didn't even deal with that properly probably until December of last year, mm. and now I'm on the. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm better. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I got a lady back home who I look forward to returning to, and she makes it difficult for me to be on the road now. Yeah, but you're getting all grown up. Yeah, I'm like I'd rather because I just I know the other side of yeah. life, and I depression is a lifelong journey, and and as you get older, you just figure out better coping strategies, but you never can really get past it. It's always there in the back of your mind. Have you struggled with that as well? Uh, anxiety is more my shit. Yeah, yeah. There but you go. I self medicate. Mm. With a lot of weed, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the weed's gotten like some whole other level out here. Really? Like, like he's showing me these yeah. Yeah. and everything. Yeah, Cali's been blessing me. Yeah, Cali's been very generous. You know, it's funny. Yeah, like I, I was trying to get, I was. Ah, this sounds so stupid, but I was like trying to get back into weed to see if it would help with my depression, and my anxiety got bigger with yeah, it, yeah, and it yeah. was like keeping me up at night a little bit and shit. So I was like, ah, oh, never mind. I'm better. I'm actually. I quit drinking two years ago, uh, as of May fifth, and I'm just realizing I'm just better off in my own psyche yeah. clean you know that's what I mean? awesome. which is yeah, something that's, that's like dope. difficult to figure out anyway but yeah yeah weed helps for sure i mean i spent most of my early 20s like heavily self-medicated it, well, and it, it just interacts well with me yeah like, there we, you go we get along we, there you we go. do good work together indicas or sativas <laughs> sativa there always you go. sativa yeah yeah Indica take me to, although i've been even out here cats have given me like mad Whatever. sample boxes so yeah. i've been messing with some indicas and it's yeah. not i'm like growing did you go to medman no, these dudes. I should know their name too, but they you gave me check you know, out Medman if uh, while you guys are in town. It's really it's really crazy because everybody's trying to say, oh, they're starting the the Apple Store of weed, but that right. one's oh, really the fucking Apple Store of weed. Yeah, it's crazy. I saw some pictures of it yeah, online. It's something. really interesting. You walk in and there's like 
all these weed sommeliers and, and iPads everywhere and shit. It's very <laughs> it's very technology based. Yeah, uh, let's get all weed offenders out of jail. I was going to ask you guys about politics because I, I do appreciate both of you guys' views for a long time and very outspoken about similar issues that I am passionate about. And so when did you guys start oh, kind yeah. of like educating yourselves on that matter and becoming activists at, like I know you guys are? Because I find that. Well, super intriguing. Go yeah, ahead. you. Well, you were asking about being a liberal in a conservative area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is more of an issue now. Yeah, as that all my neighbors are are Trump voting totally uh, intense people. Would your dad have been? Yeah, yeah. He was a Rush Limbaugh. Did listener. you guys have to have those conversations? Yeah, that was How a was huge. That? Uh, it was terrible. That's kind of what I was trying to get. Oh at. Yeah, yeah, we had a horrible, horrible relationship, but yeah. it, w- it wasn't even about politics. Poli- like our horrible political relationship was like later after the physical violence had ended (laughs) that was like yeah uh but that aside uh my dad was very political like he was a political minded dude Uh and he paid attention to politics and that that probably influenced me in some way but yeah and i did i didn't identify myself as liberal ever i just like i heard public enemy and rage against the machine and rage against the machine had that evil empire album yeah. where like if you open it they had that picture of a, a pile of books and i went and just found those books Read and started reading those books and they made that combine you know like I, that was one of the things that attracted me to hip-hop initially was like I, the anger and then like i identified with that anger even though it was a, obviously a completely different anger which led me to like an understanding like oh this is why shit is fucked up. This is why people are poor. This is why people are not educated. This is why ignorance, you know, is around you. Even though, obviously, these rappers are talking about a totally different environment. You know, there was like a class understanding that I started to get. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved to New York, so I really, hip-hop just kind of pulled me in to political activism, even. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when I moved to New York, the first protest I went to was uh, Amadou Diallo was, you know, 41 Mm -hmm. shots and all Mm -hmm. that. And most deaf was there and like, you know, spoke to the crowd and shit. And I was like on board. I was like, and and at the time, all those raucous cats were like, yo, turn jams into political revolutionary part, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and I was like, okay, like, this is it. I believe you. Like, and then 9-11 happened and I was looking for like who's ne- you know what now mm-hmm. and it was quiet mm-hmm. and i wasn't even aware of makeshift patriot yeah at makeshift the time patriot, until later. that was a big deal yeah yeah that was my fir- i guess i would say my first overtly political track right it wasn't- I-, I still say like typical dark-skinned disney villain to describe things <laughs> yeah, to this yeah. day because i was like oh that's such a poignant way to put it like that's what yeah. it is that's what the media tries to look for but yeah. my household was devoid of politics Really? We never spoke politics. It was not a very cultured household. Yeah. We watched Roseanne mm-hmm. and, you know. Yeah, same. Like Thursday <clears> nights <throat> yeah, watched, on NBC uh, were huge for us. Yeah. Friends, Seinfeld, all never, that. We mm-hmm. never ta- I never would even know what my how my parents voted because they didn't talk politics my in the house. My parents were secretive about who they voted for, too. My mom, to this day, won't tell me who she's going to vote for that's because an older, that's, that's, that's how her dad raised yeah, her. Yeah, you know? my grandma's like that, too. It's yeah. like, I remember being a kid. She took... Uh, me to the voting booth when it was well, one day when she voted yeah. and she got out and I was like who did you vote for and she was like you never ask that <laughs> right. <laughs> right that's like asking somebody's salary <laughs> yeah. or something to them you know I was like I uh, fuck it we, we don't ever talk about politics then okay right, but right. The, and I didn't really know what a liberal was or a conservative I had yeah. no idea uh, that wasn't really any part of our life I played football and did karate and rapped and I think to an extent growing up obsessed with rap like I'm sure the three of us were 
I think you kind of innately gain this sense of empathy for what you're listening to yeah. because yeah. you're hearing the rappers that you grow up idolizing telling these terrifying tales of like the woes of disenfranchised neighborhoods and you can't help but be like whoa this is fucked up yeah, yeah. and you know what I mean and like particularly as a fan of black art it's like you want to empathize with the disenfranchised people of color in some, the world some people yeah. I still come across people who are fans of yes I, this is something I want to talk to you about I, so go ahead because I, I encounter it often yeah. not just on Twitter but in real life at our shows where people I, I would assume are at least sympathetic to Black Lives Matter and mm -hmm. that cause and, and they're not like they, right. they just have a conservative mind but they love rap but I actually want to talk to you guys about that because that's something like I don't really plan my questions but this is one of the few that I planned with you guys because I, I think that all three of us probably have encountered this where you get fans that say they like real hip hop and I'm putting <laughs> quote fingers up but they mean white hip hop and for guys like you who grew up on like you know particularly like public enemy black power rap you know what i mean mm -hmm. like that shit is disheartening and to an extent it, it disgusts me but you can't like tell every i mean it, there's just not enough time in the day to like confront every person that talks to you about that shit and i try on twitter believe me i've gotten into some fucking yeah. fights it's a teachable moment though yeah. when you when you can how do you guys handle that well any <clears throat> you typically i try to always say oh well you know Thanks to Public Enemy and KRS and, you know, I'll, I'll list off all the artists that inspired me. I was mm -hmm. like, if you think no one out there is saying shit, mm -hmm. I was like, I grew up on hip hop. How mm -hmm. do you think I turned into me and what I do? Mm -hmm. So don't just say you are the only one or like, because right. I don't think they specifically target white hip hop, but they have to think about why their top five rappers are all white mm -hmm. because that's pretty fucking bullshit mm -hmm, it's like it's not just coincidence you know there's some something else happening that you need to figure out right yeah i mean it it also depends on the like the person the approach and all that but yeah it is uh i i think i feel like we we both have gotten good at like jujitsuing around that when it when it comes up because it, it comes up at times i feel like it comes up less these days but uh yeah i don't know man I, I talk about whiteness. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm like if if we're if we're majority white in this room, and you are, you know, like you can identify with this perspective. Then like let's talk about whiteness. So we do that sometimes. Like yeah. <laughs> what do you like, talk about whiteness? Like how it's a social construct. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Songs like Earth Movers okay. or like you know they see the vision in our clear blue eyes. You yeah. know, like uh, if you you know we can make rap and also. I just repeat over and over again, like, I think hip-hop is black music. I yeah, think it comes from the absolutely. history of black music in this country and that, like, you have to acknowledge that mm -hmm. and be respectful of that if you're going to participate in, in it as a white person. Absolutely. That's, like, what I try to fucking shout from the bell towers. Is and, like, we're guests in this culture yeah. and we should act accordingly. And if you, like... There's no two two ways about it. Like all of us are to an extent culturally appropriating. So it's like at least fucking be respectful to the culture while you're in it, and yeah. and not try to exponentiate that appropriation by. I don't know. I look at artists like Lil Dicky, where they're like, you yeah, know, that yeah. that that song "Save Money" to me is like such a fucking dog whistle. You know what I mean? Because it's yeah. like you know, oh, black rappers are when they talk about buying extravagant things that's not fiscally responsible i.e that's why black people are poor like yeah, yeah. that to me is what conservatives want to hear yeah but then they go oh, but i love rap music yeah, yeah. little dicky's on some wild minstrel show shit yeah fuck that fool you no. well he, he you know when you do comedy rap yeah you do yeah. risk becoming that minstrel character 
thinking that in itself is funny, but right. not realizing why it's fucked up. You're right, and the implications of it. Yeah, yeah. As, a, as a white rapper that wants to do comedy rap about race, like your shit better be on point. Your shit yeah, you better probably, not yeah. involve Chris Brown. Right. Because you come from a marketing background and you're like, yo, if this, I get Chris Brown yeah. to say the N-word, but I, people know it's me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then like, then some little white girls on a college cheerleading bus are, you know, you didn't know that was going to happen? Of course right. you did, man. Of course. Like, you, that's well, just, those uh, girls are going to be singing anyone's lyrics uh, regardless of who it is. We That's another problem. Or I don't even know if it's a problem. It's just a reality in hip-hop that people act like, oh, you better not be saying those lyrics. Like, yeah, everyone. if you say it in your song, every person of every race is going to be saying it in their mm-hmm. car. Trust. Yeah, so, right. Um, Festivals. And- <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, I'm not going to get all bent out of shape. It's, right. You know, it's, it is nah, what it he's is. Whack. He's a but whack there's also human. these kids. <laughs> it's not just. It's not even white people not being able to respect uh, hip hop's origin and and the con- the social conditions that it came out of. Mm-hmm. But now the new generation of rappers don't even want to respect the greatest rappers of all time. Right. So it's like as we move on, you have to continually recognize that. People are inherently selfish and they just care about their immediate situation. And right. there's only going to be a special few people of any every demographic that truly does the work, does the hard stuff that makes them research that and 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 when you do, like any craft, any music, you will love it if so you understand it. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think like similar to both of you, rap for me was something that I did study and something that opened more doors to more musical yeah. avenues for me. And because of rap, I learned so much more about the history of rock, the history of soul music. Like yeah. I got to put on to all these other artists that like yeah. mean the world to me because I listened to fucking Wu-Tang or before I, because I listened to KRS. You know that's what I mean? one of the best things about hip hop as a genre is that it does open you up to all those other right. genres. Right. Cause like a rock cat, like they should learn about rhythm and blues. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, all rock and roll is based on blues yeah. Americana. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I, oh man, I had a really frustrating conversation with an Australian cat one time who, who I was trying to tell him like, all popular Western music has its roots in African American music, right? And he's like, "Well, surely not rock music. That's right." <laughs> Jesus and I said, "Are you fucking kidding?" Like, I almost like blew a gasket, dude. I was like, and I had to explain Australia. him the whole history of fucking Chuck Berry and fucking, you know, Howlin' Wolf yeah. and and Lead Belly and these guys. And he's just like, "What?" You know, I'm like, "Fucking listen." That's to so it. crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's dope that you're actively listening when you, when you say like there is a thing about where. You actively listen like someone that was passionate about yeah. it, and we did too. Yeah, I think America in general does not listen no. to hip hop at all. Even if they, even if Public Enemy was the number one song on the radio, that shit would just come and go, and and we would still be in these situations with Black Lives Matter and and predictable shit going mm-hmm. on that like Richard Pryor has material about from the seventies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we are still reacting with shock to. As if like 30 years of rappers hadn't been been telling us what was up with the police and people of color and and poor communities. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, so I, does does America like listen to rap? Right, <laughs> it's arguable. It's questionable. It's like the white man can't trip shit. Like you hear it, but you don't yeah. listen to her. You yeah, listen to it, but yeah. you don't hear it. Yeah. That's a frustrating conversation for me always because I always get those people like, oh, you know, you're the best rapper. Or this person's the best rapper. I'm like, yo, nah. Like we're built, we're standing on the shoulders of giants. Like the influences uh, stack on top of each other, and you learn what you learn from the artists that you grew up idolizing, who for me were all black. You yeah. know, so in fact, I wouldn't listen to white people when I was growing up. My yeah. mom bought me uh, the Beastie Boys tape. Yeah, like please listen to a white person because right. they were so bugged out by <laughs> right. my fascination with black culture at that yeah. moment. Yeah. Like, where are you getting this from? Like, right. you know, they were so like my grades were shitty. They wanted to always blame it on rap. And right. Rap was the devil and whatever. Oh, but yeah. Man. Same thing. My my mom took away my fucking doggy style tape and my 36 chambers. I wanted to tape. ask, yeah. since you're Italian, yeah. if there's uh, racists in the family. You know what? The first time I ever heard somebody say the N-word in yeah. real life in a negative connotation was like my 75-year-old, my mom's godmother, who we used to call my Aunt Lou. She, you know, she's passed, so she doesn't care about this. But yeah, we went back for my grandfather's funeral when I was seven years old. And, she go, and my mom's like, hey, Aunt Lou, how is everything? She goes, well, you know everything's fine, but all the N-words are moving into the neighborhood. And I was like seven. I looked at my mom like, oh, my – I'm like – like as soon as Aunt Lou turned back, I'm like, she just said the N-word. Like what the fuck? She can't say that, you know? Yeah, it was uh, (laughs) – yeah. yeah, But I've noticed on the East Coast they don't call it racism. They call it prejudice. Oh, yeah. She's prejudiced. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like out here we're like, oh, that's a racist. No, yeah. I got in a prejudice argument on Facebook. That was one of my last – when I cared to argue with people on Facebook. The whole difference between being prejudiced or bigoted and stuff like, all right, fuck all you guys then. Oh, God. Facebook is a lost cause, man. Yeah. You you had a lot of racism in your family? My, My grandfather. My biological grandfather yeah. was wild racist. Yeah. And uh, he, because of some family shit anyway, he probably hated me before I was born. Yeah. But when I was, when I started the fascination with rap, which is why you mentioned it and I was thinking about it. Uh, yeah. He, he like went out of his way to say like the most racist thing he could to Ugh. me every time he saw me about my black friends yeah. or my black. And uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go see him when he was dying. I didn't go to his funeral. Like he was, he was a bad dude, but he, and he would teach me shit. Like he was, uh, I walked into a doctor's office with my mother Yeah. as, as a little baby or toddler. There was a black family sitting in the doctor's office. And I said, mom, porch monkeys. And my mother, Oh my gosh. And because my grandfather yeah, had taught me that, that word. Yeah. yeah. And like thought it would be funny to teach a kid that he right. was a bad dude. He yeah, was like that's a, terrible. Yeah, he was like fringes of mo- a, mob shit. And it's an interesting thing with yeah. Italians, uh, uh, Italian Americans, because. You know, Italians want to talk about their plight coming over here. Like, oh, we were hated on as much as black people were. I mean, I don't believe that to an extent whatsoever. But, like, my family, when they immigrated, they had eight kids, right? uh, My my grandmother was one of eight. And none of them were allowed to learn to speak Italian. And they're all dark-skinned. Like, if if, if, in California, they would all – people would think they were Mexican. You know what I mean? Like, they're dark-skinned like that. And within a generation, they had graduated to the social construct of white. Yeah. And even though I'm a third generation immigrant, like, 
you know, a lot of my, that side of my family is like very anti-immigrant yeah, and like, yeah, don't let sure. people in the country. And my, I'm like, yo, yeah. we wouldn't be here. I, I had this, this is like the conversation I keep having with my grandmother yeah. who came here with like 20 bucks and worked in a sweatshop yeah. and is now anti-immigrant because right. she watches Fox News. And right, shit. exactly. And yeah, it's wild, man. And, and there's so many similarities mm-hmm. too, because like if anyone should understand Black Lives Matter or the Black Panthers, it should be Italians because mm-hmm. that's who the mob was. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Italian people had no access to justice. So they just posseed up mm-hmm. and tried to solve their own problems. You know, like there's, right. to me, that's the clearest line you could draw. And I'm like, how the fuck? You know, but it's just this weird, like, tribalism. Totally. Just tribalism. Yeah, that's yeah. all it boils down Same, to. Yeah. 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 I have another question now that... Uh, Everything's been going on, like, you know, the Time's Up movement and the Me Too movement and stuff like that. And, and I think a lot of people are having shit dug up from their past. And I, I worry myself when I look back at songs of mine that ha- maybe have misogynistic overtones or anything like that. Do you guys, how do you guys hand, I'm sorry, this is not like to blindside you guys are fucking, I'm not going to be like, oh, I saw this tweet about this or whatever. My point is, I wish you, guys, you would. You guys, I wish no, you would right no. now. Do you guys have any songs that you look back on in your careers and be like, "Man, these days I wouldn't have wrote that," and I'm like oh, embarrassed definitely. because I have so many songs that I'm like embarrassed of in my past. You know? Yeah, yeah I'm not. I'm not devastatingly yeah. embarrassed, yeah, but yeah. there's always lines like that are corny to me. That's yeah, like, totally. I thought it was clever at the time. I was like, uh, but those are. 20, 25 year old songs. Right. So, but you have people that are finding out about them now who are like, yo, this is my favorite song. And I'm like, fuck, I hate that song. I wish you wouldn't listen to it. Yeah. That I mean, the rewrite yeah. is one of those songs that people always are surprised when I'm like, you know what? That song's not all that. Right. Because <laughs> it's, yo, rewrite saved my life, bro. And yeah. even girls would tell me that and be like, that song is like, fucking incel rap that shit is like <laughs> Yo, you know like me trying to i just learned what incels get, are that shit yeah. is so dark trying to guilt trip this girl into getting back with me and it was you know right. i should have just laid off right. but i made a song about it i made a movement about it i made yeah. a fucking career out of it thanks. so you know thanks to the song i think a lot of good things did happen yeah but if you identify so much with that song, you might need to check yourself because I needed to check myself and yeah, change totally. and grow as a human. Yeah. <laughs> Knowledge dart. That <laughs> bullets of truth. <laughs> That's exactly the kind of answer I was looking for because, like, yeah, I, I'm going through that shit now where I'm like, oh, man, I wrote this song 15 years ago. And I'm like, and I'm just like, ugh, you know, and people are yeah. like, oh, I love that song. Well, but what you, and the other thing I always have to recognize because I don't let it bug me ever yeah. because people are 14 years old. <laughs> right, right. People are 19th. People just had their heart broken. Yep. So the music I made when I first got my heart broken, mm-hmm. it's it 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 makes sense to them yeah. even more than it does to me now. You know, so it's I do perform those songs sometimes, but I I like to make the announcement that I basically feel like I'm covering my own music. Right. Like it's not even me. I don't share even the single cell that I had when I wrote that song. But I know you guys like it and let's have fun at a show. That's an interesting. But, take. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You got anything like that, that you feel? Uh, the only the only regret is is a joint that was very confessional where I used people's real names. Oh shit! On a, on it was like my first release and I didn't really understand yeah. fully the staying power or something like that. Right. And that I always I, I definitely regret that. I think about reissuing it with the shit bleeped out or something. Or something. Right. Yeah. yeah, but but. Uh, nah, thankfully I spent so many years in the lab that. Yeah. Uh, and I hate releasing things, so I don't have too many. Which is something we have to get over. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got, I'm getting. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you just got to put it out. But, the uh, yeah, you gotta, but yeah, you can't but, drag your feet too much well, longer. That's why the, uh, yeah. Young, yeah. young Dole is uh, is thankfully only lives in 
my hard drives that'll be burned when I die. Well, let's talk about old Dole then. Like now yeah, that we are getting so older, here's my Dole. here's here's my question for you guys. Now <laughs> that we are uh, men of middle age and and going into our uh, more mature years of our life, do you, have you guys felt the footsteps at all? Like when you make music of like, oh, I'm too old to be doing this, or like, oh, it's a young man's game. And I'm asking because I go through that constantly. And if you've ever felt that. How do you cope with it? And how do you just get past that and get past those footsteps, the yips? I don't stress that shit too much. I, I actually prefer the challenge of it. Really? I like that. I like the new level of like I haven't seen too many people do this the right way and I look forward to doing it. The Aging right gracefully way. in rap is yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, could be the first generation to do it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But part of why I wanted people to think I was old when I was young. Yeah. Because I made people think I was like 43 or whatever when I was right. Like that was the whole early thing. No, 20s. no one knew Sage's real name or uh, age. Yeah. So I liked the idea that people already thought I was old yeah. so that I could continue to do things and not have to worry about a bump once I actually did hit 40. Right. Because then I'm like, people are like, how the fuck old are you now? Are you fucking 80 years old? Like, nah, I'm actually still the same age, homie. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's yeah. funny. I mean, the, the age thing, it just it colors people's uh, reception and understanding of it. But um, for me, like, you know, the the end game is like just making more shit and like this this like musical journey, as cliche as that is, like I get off on like making the next shit and the ideas and putting them together. So as long as I'm still challenging myself and still doing shit, I don't know how to do and I'm into what I'm doing that that's the reward for me. So then when it goes out, it's like, oh, you know, my age somehow like we we were just talking about this in the car it's like it's kind of funny now a lot of cats have dropped out of the game and now we're just like two to people that like this kid came to the show in uh dallas and he was just like young dude green hair like and, and he was just like yo this is incredible my friend brought me here you both look like my friend's parents but yo you fucking nasty like yeah. you know like where the it's fuck did these, their mind. these old right. ass dudes why can they rap like this you right. know like it, it's uh you know out of context yeah. for them so that's funny to yeah, the, that's like amazing. you know but that all has to do with their perception of what you know we've been doing and you guys got what, a way healthier outlook about it than i do yeah. that's for I, my 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 unhealthy outlook though is that i don't look forward to having to win over a younger fan base every five years right in order because our fans are so old now like our original fans yeah. are married with kids right. and with a job and they cannot come out on a monday night in los I angeles feel, i feel like sometimes though they're like we're we're they're getting older now the kids are old Yeah, right now yeah we're at the age where they're they actually back. can start coming to yeah. shows because <laughs> it's like oh my kids in junior high you can babysit my younger ones yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, no that's interesting I, I always think there are certain artists in the underground that like they have a new 18 year old discovering them every month you know what I'm saying so yeah, I'm sure yeah. like like I think about like the living legends and hieroglyphics right, right. and you guys and it's like there's always some kid entering college and going like going through his real hip hop phase yeah. where it's like you guys are always going to have perpetually young fans huh well, you I hope so. Yeah, without maybe, a lot yeah. of work, I just, I'm saying I just don't want to work for yeah, it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> I just want them to find me and be like, okay, you have a lot of music to catch up on. Yeah. We're still making music. You know, find the era that you like the most and yeah. don't expect me to continue to do that. <laughs> for someone that has, like, perpetuated this idea of being the eternal loner, how, how was it working with him on music as a partner? Was we're, it easy we're, or difficult? We're both pretty yeah. like lone wolf yeah. category in the in the booth and uh, in the process. Yeah, it wasn't. I had fun. I mean, I I knew what it was going to be like 
ahead of time. It, it lived up to pretty much my expectations because there's like two people in my head that make a record. There's one that's like a little excited kid that just wants to like, yeah, the idea person. And then there's like this Nazi ass editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like we, we went to the fringe, uh, festival in Scotland. We shared an Airbnb for 30 days and we like started everything. Mm-hmm. And that shit was just fun. Like it was, it was super fun to let, like, this is how I, in my mind it works to let the kids play together. <laughs> to, yeah. Like, right. to put a bunch of shit up on the wall. Like, yeah, this song, this song, this hook. Ah, this is fun. Look at this beat. Ah, ha, ha, that'd be funny. And then, you know, it, then we get to the process of like making it, mm-hmm. which is where it became less fun. The editors for both of us stepped in and they're both very rigid and, you know, like getting them to get along and all agree. Plus, you know, there was a workflow of beats between uh, my studio at home. Uh, DS3K, the engineer I work with locally who, like, beefs stuff up for me, and then Alias, who was mixing the record. Uh, R.I.P. Alias. Sorry yeah, for yeah, awesome. man. Yeah, man. Yeah. That was uh, very, very sad. Yeah. The worst. Uh, but, yeah, so... I mean, it's been ups and downs. It's been, like... <laughs> even the, the tour has been wild emotional. Yeah. But, uh, like, we have a lot of dope-ass songs. Yeah, so we do. Yeah. I just, when we make the songs... We're again, we mainly make solo music. Yeah. So, and I've done it for so long that switching gears and trying to do a group thing, because I finally get to go back and do the run DMC that I always wanted to do. And, but we just joining forces and trying to figure out how to make that work out. It's, it's, it's really like I, we, I said it before, but I feel like I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in writing sessions for a Beastie Boys album and see who. Like, how do you all have different lines? Like, who wrote that? Yeah, right. You I mean, know? I listened back on those. Yeah, as a kid, I was like, oh, this one is the best rapper of the group. But I'm like, oh, he was just saving the lines for himself that he wrote. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would imagine it was one person well, writing on and, that. No? And we've, to solve all these problems, because we both have, like, different references and points in the hip-hop timeline that we're trying to, like, yeah. hit. Uh, so... In doing that, like, we definitely have experimented with, like, a bunch of different even writing methods. Mm. Like, writing methods where it's like, okay, you write 16, I write 16, and that's easy. All right, you write 8, I write 8. Or you write 16, I send it to you. You chop the shit out of it, send it back. Right. Like, it was, like, workflow shit like that. Um, even, like, mic sounds, audio, you know, like, Yeah, totally. Was. But coming up with this song, Ideas, what's funny, because when we tour, we've toured so much together, we've shared rooms together for so long. Some of my favorite things is just the random ass ideas that pop up that a lot of people would laugh off and like, ha, yeah, imagine that happen. Like, nah, let's make this real. Mm-hmm. Like, I this idea is so dumb yeah. that if we move forward with it, people are going to enjoy it just as much as we did in the moment where we just laughed. Right. Like, it's possible. I love that because there's stuff I can't do with Sage Francis. Mm-hmm. There's stuff I can do with Epic Beardman. Right. I love having that opportunity, which just was not there because i could do like zalzan stuff was its own you know nasty pervert old fuck face yeah, guy yeah so that was okay for some some of the weird parts yeah. of my brain is like all right that's- it's interesting how when you are going through your process like you have to compartmentalize different yeah. songs into different things like oh this is a mixtape joint this is an album joint this is a zalzan yeah. joint this yep. is a sage francis joint yep. you know yeah so now i have a new category I have a new option a little new thing i can put ideas yeah. into that can grow into an actual song how would you guys say that epic beard man music differs from your own respectable solo work it, it it's just less 
less deep, less personal, less heavy, but that's not exactly right. But yeah. it's more fun. Play more play. Yeah, it is more playful, more funky, more yeah. more punchy too. Well, I wouldn't say because your music is punchy, but yeah, definitely more funky, more funk and soul samples than nice. either of us have ever messed with at any one time. I think. Yeah. How do you guys go about finding beats? We just keep asking people to send us shit, and yeah. we make our own beats. Oh, you guys are making beats? Yeah. Hell yeah. Do you guys want to talk about Alias passing at all? I know you guys were working together. Like, if, if it's too personal, you don't have to. But, I mean, if there's anything you guys want to say. We should. I mean, yeah. yeah. yeah should. He's worth talking about. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say that, you know, growing up, that was a, his beats were everywhere in my life. You know what I mean? And, and um you know, the records he put out on Anticon were fucking beautiful. And, and the group project, Deep Puddle Dynamics, was a huge record in my life, you know? So a lot of the work you guys did together is Yeah, I mean, my amazing and most popular songs were produced by Alias, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. I mean, Sea Lion, Escape Artist. I mean, those songs are top of the playlist, you know, yeah. most spins, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but I met him in 98, so that was 20 years ago when I first met him at my radio station. He came up. And um, and I went to Maine. Him and like Soul were still living in Maine, yeah. and we recorded a song together. And he was the only dude who was obviously nice to me. Right. Where everyone else, I wondered if they hated me or not. Standoffish. Yeah. yeah. And he was all welcoming and made me feel good. Made me feel like I could be part of what they were doing. And um, and he's consistently been like that pretty much, I think, for everybody that he's ever encountered. He's just like this care bear of yeah, a dude right. and super talented. And one thing that like bugged me eventually, because we toured together the Human Death Dance tour. So that's the, I made him rap on it because yeah. I loved like I wanted him to rap. Right. I, I think he was self-conscious about his rap because being around Anticon dudes long enough, you start to get very self-conscious of Am I rhyming too much? You know, or stuff. You know, they got all these rules and shit. Right, right. And uh, but yeah, I was like, yo, you have to rap this song and this song. Fans want to see, you know, this shit. And he did. Like he fucking went with it. It was his last big tour. Yeah. And then because he went completely domesticated. He was married early on. Right. He had um, his child and then another child, and they had a house in portland maine once they moved back from california since they were 15 there yeah there was his high school sweetheart man it's beautiful yeah Yeah. and i he he was done touring at that point yeah and he we could like hardly get him even a like the last show we played in portland like two months ago i was like yo you want to get up on stage and you know do he's like no i mean i just want to be you know a spectator i was like i totally understand because i want to be that too right but you went you know, and did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I met him in 2006, I guess, on the on the Human the Death Dance tour. I did a couple dates and we just I was a fan of his music and we rode together in the car. We both knew the same Aphrodite's Child record that had these wild drums that we were both like bugged out about. Right. And we just started realizing like we both liked the same kind of rap and both wanted to make an updated Gravedigger's record in yeah. in 2006. That's amazing. Uh, so after I was done with my first record, yeah, he produced my whole second album, and that was really like my rap debut. Like he was the first, you know, he, or he was the the dude to believe in me as a rapper and like dedicate an album full of his best beats. Uh, and yeah, just working with him, he was the most egoless cat. Like he, from start to finish, by and he was a little 
sending me less stuff anyway by um, whenever whenever it was last that uh, well we were talking about a follow up mm-hmm. for for Fallen House because mm-hmm. uh, the ten year anniversary is coming up mm-hmm. so he had just started sending me more recently but in the in between time I had produced my record Kill the Wolf uh, which came out in 2015 he came he drove down to Rhode Island just to like play some synths and and mix the whole thing and like added additional like chops throughout and stuff not not giving a shit that it wasn't his beats right. And, that cat gave me his whole list of of samples of like records if you ever see these by him he gave me his whole break folder oh wow and was like you know that that was in preparation for the follow up we were getting ready to start on he had sent me some beats uh he was a but, pretty integral part of Strange Famous Records. Yeah, he mixed everything, man. Yeah, he's yeah. he's got his hands in pretty much all of our records. Yeah. And that seems like it's a He's probably a man that covered so many tasks and so many positions for you guys. It's going to be someone that's impossible to ever like even yeah. think about yeah, replacing. Yeah, it's got to be like, different. Going to yeah. be, have to be. Probably... That was one thing I think we said the the day we found out that he passed away, which yeah. was a total shock, and yeah. no one expected it. He just yeah, was forty one years old. Yeah, yeah. who's like, picking up his daughter from school and whatever. Ha- like yeah, it, it, and that we found out, and I just was like, I was fucking devastated. I like cried all day yeah yeah i was fucked up yeah I mean, i'm the, still fucked up. like yeah. slug called me to tell me like he found out right away and then he called me i woke like i was actually laying in bed just my eyes open early mm-hmm. morning mm-hmm. And he was like he told me i just couldn't process what the fuck it meant right. and, and he talked, i woke up hearing that conversation and like looked at my phone and saw the message from jen his wife and yeah. said like hey it's jen can you give me a call and i was Hearing his conversation with Slug, and I was and like, you knew what oh, that fuck, I knew, it, yeah, I knew. Like, That's miserable. Man. But we knew yeah. it was diff- from that point on. Yeah, it's different. Like he was just like, how do we even do anything now? Like I know we can do it. It's just going to be different. Yeah, and- it just his reaction was so important to me. You know, like there, like it, there's. Uh, well, I say I don't think about the audience, but like there is a small audience I give a shit about, and he was one of them. Mm. You know, like, it, like that's your brain trust. Yeah, when I'm trying to kill shit. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, like the I, I'm still in shock about the idea that I'm never going to see him react, or I'm never going to get a new email from him with a new beat, or yeah. you know, like that that music is gone. You know, mm-hmm. like that that potential is gone, and that's not even the saddest part. That's that's such that's such bullshit compared to what his his wife and kids have right. lost. You know, like his young daughter is is just starting to talk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh it's horrible, man. Like life is has been the, heavy uh, this year. Yeah, like, they got the the. The GoFundMe. Oh yes, yeah. So if you and they're close to their goal, but they haven't met their goal. Nah, yet. yeah, it's a seventy-five thousand dollar goal, which will cover what <laughs> like yeah, two right. years maybe of of the help they need and right. care for the kids, right, and right, whatever else. So uh, what uh, what is the name? Uh, I don't know the exact link, but maybe Brendan Whitney. You guys uh, can fig- put up a link. Yeah, yeah, I can find it. Like, but yeah, I would imagine if you Google search alias GoFundMe, it yeah, really pop up, our Twitters and stuff. Yeah. Man, yeah, I'm really sorry for you guys lost, man. That shit is Thank terrible. You. I know what it's like to lose a friend. It's fucking horrible. Yeah, it yeah. sucks. So. There's a network of people around his family, though. I talked to Dose at the funeral, and, uh, yeah, there's lots of people that want to make sure that mm-hmm. they're looked after. So mm-hmm. uh, currently, like, that's what's making it okay, like, right. looking after his family, making sure, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's a huge loss mm-hmm. for lots of people. That's a heavy note. Yep. That's heavy. <laughs> I just wanted to let it sit for a second before I, before moving on. But uh, that brings me to like another, I guess, 
avenue of, of questions that I have about like having been making music and making friends for so long. Do you ever take the time to like look back longingly about friendships you had in the past that maybe are not as solid anymore? Or have you been able to maintain good friendships with most of the people that you've worked with in the past? Because I, I already look back like my friends 10 years ago, like mo- a lot of them aren't like really in my life anymore. And I look back on that with like regret you nearly shouldn't. every day. You, you shouldn't because that's yeah. life. It doesn't yeah. even matter what you do. That you, you will in life probably find one or two people you stay friends with and stay close with. Yeah. People splinter off. People's, li- people's lives are so complex and complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Like to pretend like we can all stay tight yeah. is a, a myth. And the fact that you aren't tight anymore doesn't mean either of you fucked up. Right. You know? And I can still hopefully contact an old friend and it'd be just like when the last time we talked. Yeah. You know, if you if your friendship's tight enough. But the only fucking person I build with is B. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I don't even have a friend outside of, like, my be- you know, my girlfriend. Yeah. Like, that's who I talk to. B, I talk to. Everyone else is just like splinters of yeah. like tiny info and time, yeah. and that's okay, you know. Totally, that's great. That's very sagely advice. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, as performers, like the tour thing is is weird because like when you tour with someone, you feel like when that tour, when that one month is over, you're like, you are my brother, we right. are family. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, but then yeah, people grow up out of that, and people are in different places, and yeah, man. but I, I still retain like a lot of friendships i've worked with a lot of musicians in the past couple albums like yeah. i feel like b is much more social than i am I'm social I'm, so, I'm so in awe of his ability to talk to various people and stay in touch with them and sativa yeah <laughs> that's what it is that's what it is i am i do i look, I look upon it i'm like that's a different type of person than i am I, yeah you know, i respect that that's cool i bet in your heart of hearts you probably still feel like an introvert though no yeah. Yeah, same. Because yeah. people mistake me as very sociable because I could talk to anybody. Yeah, yeah. I just sat and talked to you guys for an hour, but yeah. I'm the same way. I go yeah. home and I, I cherish my alone time and I feel like I don't let anybody actually get to know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You feel that way? Yeah, for sure. I yeah. mean, that's the old man shit. That's yeah. The, that's the like... Maybe it's because I also made so many enemies in my life that right. I don't want to make any more enemies. I'd rather just keep my two friends. <laughs> Yo, for real. Yeah. I, I feel like no I, spent, I spent my fucking 20s like carpet bombing anyone around me that disagreed. And now yeah, right. I spend every day of my 30s being like, Yo, sorry, I was such a piece of shit in my 30s or my 20s. I swear I'm cool now. Like, I don't know you shit. Know. It's different for me, too, as a label owner and all the people I've had to work with on a business level. And like yeah. some people expected more or like... You know, if I'm in a position where I could have helped someone but didn't, Mm -hmm. the way they look at me from that point on, it's like it does taint a lot of things. Totally. And I have to be – I have to give hard no's sometimes or like I have to give a hard pass. Like, nope, that can't do that. I mean you're my homie but I'm I'm sorry I'm not going to do what you want me to do for you right now. That that causes a lot of. You sound like DJ Khaled. <laughs> Why? What do you say? He said, well, he was, he said I'm, "I can't do what you want me can't to do." Can't do that. You talking about eating pussy, though? I'm sorry. Oh, oh. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> I start from the toe. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean, them. it's an interesting dynamic that you have in the creative world, uh, particularly as touring artists, where it's like, to an extent, making money with somebody is a way to maintain a friendship because, like, you have time for survival and for you know capitalistic ventures but then also making money with people and and it being a failure is also the thing that like 
kills all friendships. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like if you can maintain that delicate balance, then you can <laughs> – I don't know. It's, it's And in the music industry, people have weird expectations. Yeah, totally. People are very self-centered. Yeah. I can say that because I'm a rapper. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, Part and parcel. You, you deal with narcissists, yeah. a higher level of – narcissism than yeah. maybe the average personality totally i mean yeah. it's like total like histrionicism or whatever like you it's just pe- peacocking constantly yeah, yeah, yeah. And like look at me look at me look at me so yeah. you do make sense and that's why not to go back to alias but that's why that cat was so special because right. you do every once in a while run into cats that are like genuine and you're, selfless yeah you're yeah. A fucking, yeah yeah so yeah that's when you the find producer them, gene lock them down yo totally producers are some <laughs> of the most tolerant people on the yeah, planet right, i don't know deal. how mark true. i don't know how equilibrium still hey, fucks Kev, with me after daddy Kev, yeah so, kev yeah, is another one way. of those cats yeah. that's just like wow like a good person here. totally is, yeah. kev is one of the few people that's managed to like maintain uh, being a good person and also being the most astute businessman right and like being able to balance those two things because most people are only one or the other yeah. you know anyway hey guys i think we did what we came to do yeah, and i appreciate you guys sitting with me uh this is really really fucking cool uh where can the people find you online and where can they find the new record we're on the socials on so the socials epic beard men on twitter there facebook in- instagram, instagram. Yeah. snapchat no, Venmo. We're, not, we're not on snapchat uh, Venmo is for sending money. Uh, fuck it. We're on strangefamous.com. There you go. Strangefamous Records, but also the epicbeardmen.com. Okay. Which hopefully will still be up and operational. It's up. In- yeah. Okay, okay. This is evergreen content. People might find this five years That's from now. That's what I'm saying. That's so, what I'm saying. Uh, epicbeardmen.com. Google, Google oh, Epicbeardmen. You're saying it so confidently. Google Epicbeardmen. You'll get taken to something that's not us. Yeah. Then- Make sure... Yeah, Google YouTube. That's why Strange Famous is a good spot. Oh, yeah. Strange Famous. Strangefamous.com. But also, uh, individually, you guys can follow them on Twitter at Sage yeah. Francis and at B Dolan. SFR. SFR. Oh, B Dolan SFR. That's B Dolan SFR. Okay, there you go. Um, yeah, guys, thank you so much. My thank name you, is yeah, my name yeah. is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition. You can follow me at It's Intuition. Follow my man, Ben Shim. Behind the boards, making the shit sound buttery at I Am Database. Follow us as a unit at Kinda Neat. YouTube.com slash Kinda Neat, where you are going to see the Epic Beardman perform form five hearts five hearts yeah and uh instagram at kind of neat where you're gonna see a picture of the three of us looking like long lost cousins and yeah that's it man thank you guys my name is lee that was epic beard men and this was kind of neat